Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Coach Fury podcast. I'm excited to get into today's guest. Like, not in him, but you know what I mean. Um, for those that don't know who I am, my name is Steve, Coach Fury Holliner, the strength coach and fitness educator with the silly nickname. I offer personal and online training as well as doing classes and semi-private training. And I also teach for several groups, including one co-founded by this week's guest. Uh, I teach for the RKC, DVRT Ultimate Sandbag Training, and Original Strength. And I'm also a mentor in the group Strength Faction. And today's guest is going to be Chris Merritt, who's one of the co-founders of Strength Faction. Uh, super rad dude. But before we go to that, a uh, couple of things. I, when I teach certs, I don't like to wear uh, certs. I don't like to wear sneakers. And I often don't like to go barefoot because I think most of us that have been to a lot of gyms, even very good ones, you can kind of tell the cleanliness factor by the color of your feet. And I found out, I think it was Mark Fisher or Josh Hankin recommended pedestal socks to me from pedestal, pedestal footwear. And man, I taught a bunch of courses in them and I really loved them. I was wearing them actually at the strength faction seminar. So I just wrote the guys from Boston, uh, Mike and Brendan, how much I liked them. And guess what? <laughs> they wrote back, we got on the phone. And if you want to check out these socks, visit pedestalfootwear.com, P-E-D-E-S-T-A-L footwear.com. And if you type in the discount code, Coach Fury, capital C, capital F, you're going to save some money on their socks. And they are Super comfy, and they have grip on the bottom, and they're great for traveling because they have, like, uh, antifungal uh, properties. They're, I don't know, Space Edge, Spider-Man tech. They might not like that I just said Spider-Man tech. Um, you know, Tony Stark shit right there. But check that out. I was actually really stoked and, and didn't expect to get, like, a promo code, codes off for people, uh, but it's just something that I dig, so it's easy for me to promote that stuff. So check them out at pedestalfootwear.com. Uh, use the promo code Coach Fury, capital C, capital F there. Sweet. Let's get on to my next guest. So if you've listened to a few of these episodes, uh, in particular, Todd Bumgardner, who's Chris's partner in life and in this, hetero life partner, Jane Silent Bob, but neither of them are quiet. And Kristen Callahan, who was episode number four, you'll know that Strength Faction's been a lot to a lot of people, but I still think some people don't fully know what we do. But I met Chris, I knew Todd when I signed up uh, for Strength Faction, and I really didn't know anybody else other than Amanda Wheeler, who recommended it to me. And one of the nice surprises making friends was Chris. Like, shortly after signing up, Chris actually... Uh, came out and hung out with me at the Dragon Door Health and Strength Conference, got to know him there, and just am continually impressed by his work, not just within this group Strength Faction, which we'll talk about more if you like Fury, what the F is Strength Faction, um, but also in not just his good heart, but what he does in terms of setting up systems for his business. He is the co-owner of BSP Nova in uh, what part of uh, Virginia are you in again? I knew Northern it. Virginia. If Northern people Virginia. know where Dulles Airport is, we're like five minutes from the airport. So five minutes from Dulles, you can find this guy. So guys, everybody, men, women, everyone, as they now say on the subways in New York City, everyone, I'm going to introduce you to Chris Merritt. Say hi, Chris, and tell me, tell, uh, fill in any gaps that I crapped the bed on there. <laughs> um, I am unmuted now. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that you really miss anything. That's, uh, that might be the best intro I've had today. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we've learned two things. Chris and I have known each other for uh, you know, over a year now, and we've been on a bunch of Q&As. We've hung out a bunch, and I just learned something new already before this podcast started. Is that A, he's not a true ginger because he's got a red beard, but he's got brown hair, and B, he's kind of fake bald because I'm looking at him now with the stubble game going on, 
And it's kind of Vin Diesel-ish. You kind of, if, if you were Jewish, you could rock the yarmulke with me and you'd probably be able to grow it out. <laughs> so tell us the story behind that. Why? Okay, so, yeah. Uh, I can grow a full head of hair, I confess. Um, which is funny because actually there was that thing a while back and Mark Fisher and people made that, uh, it was like an Andy Warhol remake of all the bald <laughs> bearded strength coaches. I was stoked and, to be on that. And Mark wrote in the comments, he was like a couple people that we didn't pick. And he wrote my name in there and said something like, I'm not sure that you're actually bald. And I was like, yeah, I'm not. Um, no, to be honest with you, the uh, man, this is going to sound ridiculous. We're going to start right here. Like, like fashion. This is what I'm going to talk about first. Uh, I, as you know, you know, coaching typically starts very very early in the morning when i had hair one of the things i hated was either waking up and throwing on the hat or being like all right i'm gonna do something so i don't look like a freaking slob in whatever setting i'm going into and i could actually tell you when it was it was uh late october early november actually it was late late november i'm sorry 2011 and i know that because it was right after i opened uh our first location of bsp nova and i just randomly shaved my head one night like I was doing something and I'm like I think that I actually kind of screwed up like cutting my own hair and I was like well whatever I'm just gonna do it I'm gonna shave it <laughs> and it just stuck and I was like holy crap this is convenient like I don't have to do anything and, and uh where I've grown it back out one time so what's that been like six years one time in six years I've grown it to a length where uh, I could put gel in my hair I think and I was like no nah, screw this and it's just it's stuck so, so Todd, it's- Todd will like to tell you that my hair is thinning but I can promise you my hair's not thinning, so. <laughs> well, it's, uh, we can deem it functional. Yeah. We can deem it tactical. <laughs> uh, I'm Plus, just gonna... I, think, I think you need to be bald with a beard if you're going to be a, a male strength coach in this industry. It's just what I've, I mean, there are some exceptions. It's either that or you have to have like a luscious head of long hair, which I don't have that, so. Well, that's when people in our field have really good hair. It stands out like that guy's got fantastic hair because so many of us don't. But you've got Charlie, Charlie Reed, Mark Fisher, and uh, Jim Ferris, right? <laughs> like everybody knows that. Like, I mean, obviously they're known for more than that. But David Romero, he's got yeah, a mane I mean, like a lion. See, and that's what people talk about with them. It's crazy. Of all the things. <laughs> done. No, well, I just want to say I want to take a moment because. That's what it is. Real uh, quick. I don't mean to cut you off. No, I, I don't want my hair to be distracting. Like I, you know, whenever there's conversations of Mark Fisher and these guys, it's always about their hair. I want it to be about the, I'm just kidding. I'm going to stop. See right there <laughs> though. I'm just going to talk to you about how I've been triggered because I would like to have hair that could be distracting, but I don't mm. have the genetics that allow it. So I don't know how I feel about your follicle appropriation. Um, this is a discussion, <laughs> folks. I thought it was just like you should just get like the uh, a knit cap, like a small one, slid back a little bit, and you can just you're you're, you're near DC. You can just do the whole Ian Mackay thing. I probably could because because we have that background. You can get away with that. Probably. Um, so everyone, really, you just learn some important stuff. Chris Merritt from Strength Faction and BSP Nova can grow hair, whereas uh, I cannot. So now we got that out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) So a couple of things I want to talk about. So um, uh, for those that know of Strength Faction or don't know of Strength Faction, um, Chris, Todd came up with a line recently that describes it. Um, Can you say like your version of that line just so people kind of have a really good, clear understanding of what it is? Because I think this was like a, a brilliant way to describe what we do. What's funny is I'm seeing, oh, I don't have it in front of me. It's like, uh, 
Um, oh my gosh. It is giving. I really wish I had it in front of me. It's like, uh, oh my God. It's something along the lines of like giving you what you give your clients. And that's not it. I'm totally butchering it. Well, um, I think it was something to the effect of strength faction gives to coaches what coaches give to their clients. Yes. I mean, and I think that was a, a really brilliant way to explain it because it's more complex what we offer, but yes. essentially it is that support system that we are there to help better people strength faction is to help better coaches yes and i'm really it, frustrated now i'm trying to pull it up <laughs> oh you got to get that uh seo right i just used a tech term so that shows so up. so if anyone's like how in the world can you not know this so obviously we have a new website in the works and if anyone's um ever developed a website before like you have things on the back end so we have like our regular websites up now and we have this whole like fake one on the back end that's like you have to have a password to get into it and all this stuff and so that's why i'm like huh just tell us the password so people can look it up yes here's the password and you can go look this up <laughs> yourself perfect chris is a programming genius you might find his library on there of templates just use those and then delete them when you're done there you go <laughs> i found it it's gonna come up here in a second but we can talk about other stuff and i'll, I'll get this to come up well, so, so, so I'll just help fill in the blanks a little bit on that. So Strength Action is a four-month program um, that is constantly evolving every, every phase, every four months or semester. We're currently in the 2017 fall semester, uh, in the, about to actually end in the last, well, last month of it, right? We're about to go into the last month of it. Yep. Which we just support coaches on a, 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 a development side, right? And, you know, personal development, business development, building community, coaching, uh, and within that, just meeting like a ton of cool people. And the great thing is now is there's a lot of us. How many members do we have right now? Right around 100. Right. right around 100. And, and what's the percentage that have been not just one other round, but more than uh, two or more other rounds? Oh, man, I don't want to butcher the, the percentage a lot. Rough, like, right? like this time, I don't even know exactly how many were brand new, but not like of, of around 100 members, I want to say only 20 some. We're brand new this time. So, yeah. Chris is doing a really good job. Nobody can see this, but my son is dressed as Kylo Ren, and he has a lightsaber behind me, and he just he's, like, creeping in and out of our video conference right now. <laughs> um, hey, buddy, you're going to have to cut that out, though. It is really cute, though. There, There's your last lurk. There he is. <laughs> he's got a green lightsaber, and it's time for hand to die. Um, <laughs> So what that means, folks, is, is people are making a repeat investment in something. And uh, uh, Strength Action brings in some very new trainers, which, quite frankly, I really think we should be, we should be the NASM requirement. Like, we should be that first step. When people are like, what do you ask? Uh, if, if you're an enthusiast that works at the gym and you ask somebody, what should be my, my first step to become a trainer? It really should be go through four months of strength faction. This isn't to take away from NASM or CSES or um, ACE, but it's longer term, actual, practical, up to the date, coaching advice, business device, uh, advice, um, and it's something that I wish I was there at the beginning of my journey. Now, for where I'm now, it was like the perfect timing because a lot of us, and, and you heard Kristen Callahan on the podcast, for a lot of us, it's we're veteran trainers now that have been dealing with sort of the crush of what being a professional fitness, a fitness professional is, which is a lot of early mornings, late nights. It's really hard to turn off the dial. 
people reaching out all the time. Sometimes you're making a lot of money. Sometimes, man, you're barely making any. And trying to find that balance as a, as a veteran or becoming a veteran trainer of like, how do I really fill in the gaps of bad habits, of maybe a lack of systems, things that we can improve on? Because no matter what you do in life, in any career, it is so easy to get solid at something and then get comfortable at being solid. And then when you're just comfortable, that's when like little bad habits or forgotten things start to pile up, right? It's like mini hoarding could have been betters. And suddenly you're like, crap, like I, where, where am I in all of this stuff? And it's usually not big ticket items. It's usually like a culmination of a lot of little things. And for me, strength faction has been that. Like I came in from a programming perspective. I just wanted a program. And I, I kind of can't believe A, that I've been a mentor now for over a year. Um, B, your poor judgment in making me a mentor or asking me to be a mentor. <laughs> and uh, C, just all the cool people of varying levels. Some like super high level people are not only actively involved in helping on the education side of this, but also as members. I mean, our members are providing information like if I'm, you know, talks with PJ and uh, Trey, Kirk, like super useful conversations and just having access to that network. What do you think is really bringing everyone back for a lot of us are over a year in together? Like, you know, like if I, th- if I look at a lot of my friends that I'm closer with in the group, like it's a year in together. Yeah. Um, I think it's that. I think it's the group. I think it's the community. I think it's well beyond what uh, it's, it's sort of the things that have been a byproduct of what we developed. Like the X, it's like in anything, the X's and O's. Sure. You know, you've, you've got to get a base understanding of that stuff, but I couldn't, uh, if it was just, you know, myself, Todd, Mike, you guys, all the mentors, like it wouldn't be the same. It's the, it's the community that we have and like these crazy connections that have happened, you know, me getting crap today saying that I'll be in uh, Boston and they're like, well, uh, some of the, some of the people, they have what they call the, uh, the Boston chapter of strength faction and, and the, I'm doing air quotes here, the, uh, president of the Boston chapter says, uh, maybe we'll meet up with you if you come to Boston, if you get the first round of drinks. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, it's, and there's like a beer club inside of strength faction, all these things that have totally organically happened that, yeah, the community has made it. So, well, it is interesting folks. Like if you're a drinker and you go to a strength faction seminar, you certainly <laughs> don't have to worry about a strength test. It is the only courses that I've ever been to where you actually have to think about pacing yourself because drinking started, uh, at the Philly seminar at about 11 a.m. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we were taking Wes stumbling home at 7.30 p.m. <laughs> it felt <Yeah>. like midnight. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like 11 p.m., if, if not later, yeah. That was a crazy – that did feel like, like midnight. But um, uh, for those that are listening, so in addition to the programming, there's, there's weekly lessons, there's weekly – multiple weekly Q&As now, and we've just had a huge – wide variety of very well-respected um, guests come on and answer questions. Uh, it, it's something that's really kind of blown my mind, the scope of it. And I know in my own online training thing, which is very different, more one-on-one, um, more personal training oriented, but on an online format, uh, it certainly has helped me on that business. And quite frankly, you know, I mentioned this in Todd Bumgardner's uh, episode, the only way I have this podcast now is through Strength Faction. Like Todd did a lesson on how to do a podcast and it took away any lame ass excuse I could make from not doing one. And I've been wanting to do one for a while. And now this will be episode 
14, not counting a Films of Fury one. Um, you know, guys, it's like I'm, I'm like rolling in podcast dough. Thanks. You know, <laughs> I make about $3 yes. an episode. I mean, so yes. there, get on that. Um, I think that's been one of the coolest things too. It's like a byproduct of actually seeing, you know, one of the things we talk about uh, all the time is like, think about how many different websites you either are a member of, or you have been a member of in the past that are like these strength and conditioning, personal training, whatever, like, like education resources. And I've done it. I know a lot of the coaches that I talk to have all done it. It's like, you have a membership, you log in occasionally and look at stuff and you might get an idea or, or two here and there, but implementation isn't really delivered in that. And like chatting about that stuff. It's so cool to me that perfect example, you starting a podcast or like, how we did the video lesson. And then I see people doing videos like the exact way that we were teaching how to do them. And I'm like, it's, it's awesome. And then, you know, programming people actually, you know, West did it today, posting pictures of like using the template and making their lives easier with all that stuff. So I think that's another big differentiator is this idea of experience it at the same time that you're learning it and then being given a plan to implement it so that you have this, you know, experiential learning process that goes on and then it's refined and that's we talk about people staying in for a year so that's at least three rounds they've been in now and they're just you know we update the material but they're seeing a lot of the same material over and over but it's like if you read a book the first time and then you go out and you do things with the information from that book if you reread that book it will seem like someone and this is a quote i don't remember who said it but it's like someone snuck into your office and rewrote the book for you yeah because your experience has completely changed your awareness and, and just the way that you read that book. It's awesome. And I think that's one of the biggest strengths in strength action. And I, I would say this year in particular, seems like there was some several sort of standout growth moments in terms of that too. Like let, let's, we got to give Casey love, right? Um, Casey has just suddenly not, not only started a podcast, but his whole social media messaging has been on point. And that's, yep. you know, very, you know, coming from, from the strength faction lessons and putting them into action. Cause I think it's hard sometimes, uh, you know, like any certification you normally go to, you, you know, you train for it, you go through the certification and you, and you, you're able to apply like a, a few things out of a dozen or so things you'll pick up. Right. Absolutely. And then, and then you're done. And then we all know folks that go to a ton of continuing education courses. So it's like how that percent dwindles as you pick up new things every weekend or every couple of you know months. Whereas that repeat factor of the lessons and also how you feed the lessons over the course of a time. It's not like here's like one day, all nutrition, uh, allows it to stick. Like it allows you to absorb it and have those aha moments instead of like, you know, for like the podcast, it was very much like, Oh, this is how it's done. Duh. Like I'm going to go do this. But some of the bigger things, like you actually got to sit back with it a little while. And then you see where that time in the system, like in kettlebell land, for example, you know, people might pass their RKC or SFG and they're going to have like, you know, a baseline of skill that should be pretty good. But like two years later, if they keep working at it, it's going to be like a totally different experience in some ways, right? Yep. Not just in how they perform it, but how they coach it. And I feel f for a lot of us that have been this longer, you're starting to see that happen. Like there's a confidence and a competence that builds, whereas I think in, tr in any business, but let's say, uh, let's be honest in fitness, like people either have overconfidence <laughs> and a lack of confidence or a lot of confidence and a lack of confidence yeah. um, in terms of getting their name and their message out. Some people want to jump that shark real quick, 
Um, you know, and then some people are like, I don't know if I'm ready yet, but then when are you ever ready? And it's finding that baseline. Yeah. So let's let the folks know, uh, this is, this is going to come out about two weeks before, uh, the next round of strength factions coming up. Well, we'll repeat this at the end, but keep an eye out on follow Chris on his social media at the end and follow this podcast and follow me on social media so you can get info on it. But, uh, registration for the next round isn't open, but it's coming at the end of December, uh, middle towards end of December. So stay tuned for that folks. If you like what you're hearing, uh, I'm not trying to make this a sales ad at all. I do think it's important. And, I hope by now, 14 episodes in, for those that have listened, and you know that I'm passionate about the, the, the groups that I teach for, because quite frankly, I, I couldn't do it if I wasn't. Um, that's like a hard thing for me, and I don't know if that's just like uh, my morals or uh, punk rock furies, just like I, I can't sell a product. I've done my time in advertising back in my days. I can't like stand for something uh, that I don't believe in, so I, I believe in this and these guys, they've been, they've been good to me and they've helped me out through hard stuff. Um, I wish I could hug you right now, Chris. <laughs> we can hug. Through Let, let's, let's just, let's, I think I might ask Todd this question. Where do you think uh, a veteran trainer struggle? If we look at these, like, you know, areas of business development, personal development, coaching, creating systems, um, where do you think the veteran trainers, is there say a, a more tend to struggle with one aspect of those? Oh, to me, I would say it's individual specific. Like it's, I don't know that I've seen like, oh, at this stage, people struggle with X at this stage. I mean, I think early on, everyone thinks that their struggle is program design. And it's really like this, um, you know, like the last time that I did the presentation, I played around with this idea of where I talk about a tale of two trainers and like trainer uh, one loves to work out. So like, I love to work out. I should, I should share that love with other people. I should train them, but if they train other people the way that they like to train. Like if they're reading bodybuilding.com and, and they're pulling workouts from there, like, guess what? That's what my clients are getting. Cause I like it and it seems to work for me. Um, so you're going to get that. And that trainer, as they develop a little bit, they start to think, okay, I get results with some clients, but not all of them. And when I get results, I'm kind of like, Hmm, I'm not exactly sure what causes that like is it something they're doing outside of the gym is it something in the gym um and and they they lack confidence then the flip side to that trainer too has systems also gets results but on a more regular basis and doesn't feel that those results are by accident is aware of this relationship of things that happen in the gym and lifestyle factors outside the gym and being able to navigate all of that and coach it so and then the, the thing I do is going like the, the reality is that they're both me. Like that's how my entry into training was. I like to train. I'm going to share this with other people. And ultimately I wound up going to Penn state for kinesiology. But then if you, if you look in, in a lot more than there, the kinesiology didn't really set me up <laughs> to do what we do today, but um, leaving a lot of steps out there. But if you listen to the story there of like all these things and understanding all these different factors, I think that those are the things that, that, early on trainer needs to grasp. Like it doesn't matter what you like to do. Um, it matters what the person in front of you needs, what they like. There's so many different factors to figure out. Um, and that's really where, sure, does program design matter? Yes, but not as complex as people want to make it. It's making sure that you're able to put people in the best positions to be successful, which is much, much simpler than I think right now with this push for mobility and everything else, like all these, uh, 
uh, training platforms out there, it doesn't need to be as complex as everyone's making it. Put people in the best position to be successful and then look at lifestyle factors like where you can start to influence them to make tiny changes over an extended period of time. And if you look at it, it's kind of what we do in strength faction, but just different lifestyle factors specific to a coach. And I, and like you said, I don't want to make it all a sales pitch for strength faction. Like every time I say that, I'm like, ah, stop. <laughs> um, but so I, that's kind of a roundabout way of answering your question. A veteran trainer, I think it's like looking at all of those pieces and you would just have to do a quick assessment on yourself of, well, where, you know, you talked about, uh, I guess what we would call imposter syndrome there. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, uh, overly competent under confident coach. It's like, okay, well, rather than just have this feeling of weight in your shoulders, like, man, I, you know, I don't feel like I know enough to talk about these things, like really sit down and assess simply just like write down the different areas that you see being areas of development for a trainer. So going with ones you said, things like coaching, things like business, things like program design. Um, is it your, your professional expansion, you know, things like starting a podcast, whatever it is evaluate yourself in those things and just see like, where are the biggest holes that I have? Are those things that I actually want to develop? Do I need to develop those for what I'm doing? And if so, then go there. But it's hard to say all veteran trainers need to work on X. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. I, I, I'll say the one thing I've noticed more of veteran trainers is, is the time management aspect of it. And so mm. part of it is very much so our, our business that we're in. You know, the, uh, um, Jessica Lewis had asked about, you know, uh, I would love to talk about that. Yeah. I I wasn't even thinking not do doubles, uh, you know, which, uh, for, for folks that aren't trainers, the doubles is when you have the, you know, trainers have to work basically when people aren't working. So the mornings tend to be busy and the evenings tend to be busy. And for a trainer, you might have like, say anywhere from like six to 7am or earlier. I I personally tried to stop anything before 7am, um, say seven to 10, and then you might have something around lunch and then, you know, you might have like five through nine and that is an all day drag. Like you could try to, then you're supposed to get all your education in. You're supposed to try to get some extra sleep in. You're supposed to try to get your training in. Um, <laughs> knowing that if you train and you feel drained and you you still got, might have like three to five hours at the end of the day left to go. Um, and it's a haul and most business owners in a small business front end up doing a ton of those. Um, but most trainers do that at least two to three times a week. And a lot of us trainers, myself included now, even if they're light days, we end up working six or seven days a week. Like I know that if I can't schedule somebody in, I don't want to lose the money. I'm going to book an hour on a Saturday or a Sunday if it doesn't mess up, you know, the wife and kids. And as a certain point, I know this was for me, like that catches up with you. And, you know, one of the things working with like, you know, you know, Mark Fisher, and he's so good at time management, you guys are great at time management, there's, you know, and certainly everybody that's like, all on the Gary V hustle. But there's a point where like, I don't necessarily want to have to schedule every 15 to 30 minute block of my life. Now that is counterproductive in some ways. But I know for me as a former producer and executive producer, where I had to schedule so much, um, I want to have a little looser, but I know that every time I was just talking with somebody today about it, it was like, yeah, I, I, you know, I try to like change my whole business model around so I can have more time with the kids. And that's one of the reasons why I left MFF. It's actually the main reason why I left MFF. But within that now, when I make quality of life decisions, my, my finances suffer. Like there's always a drop and it's always being able to try to be fluid and aware enough to make those changes. So for me, the one consistent thing I think from, just eat, and, and it's across the board. I think it's worse if you're an owner. I think people think an owner is going to have the easiest gig because they can just 
make their rules and their hours. Um, but I think as a veteran, those hours catch up, you know, yeah. and I'm like a hundred years old. So like, I feel that. <laughs> um, and I think that's why a lot of people, you know, what is it? The veteran, the, 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 the life of a trainer, the lifespan of most trainers, if I remember was like two to three years, most people get in and get out within two or three years. And I think that's a huge part of it. Uh, is that grind. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, I'm at, this will be, this December will be 13 years for me, which is pretty weird. Um, <laughs> but I actually, it's funny that you brought up the, the situation of talking about doubles and everything, because I, Todd, Todd made a comment on that, but it was basically saying about like choice. You have to make a choice here. But I, especially like, if you look at the way that we run our, our brick and mortar BSP Nova, it's like the anti setup of what every gym does their trainers like I actually cannot stand the way the fitness businesses are set up and even in that thread like I was like all right I need to address this and I'm just trying to think of the best way to do it like we're probably going to do more lessons on that in the future but everyone got on there and was like yep I work doubles I work doubles that's what you do in this industry and it's like stop 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 you know like uh I I uh run the training for a tactical law enforcement group and when I started out there one of the guys I when I when I started with this group I said, the only way I'll do it is if I can put everybody through a seminar before they ever actually train under our program. And they were like, yeah, that's absolutely awesome. And the reason being is like, I wanted them to understand why we were doing what we're doing. Cause I'm absolutely coming in there. And in a lot of ways, really trying to change the training culture. And if I just come in and do that, people are going to give me the two middle fingers and like, you know, all these guys can kill me in two seconds. So it's like, let me explain myself. And I think that you'll understand. And so I did that. And one of the guys, uh, his name's Matt afterwards, we're taking a walk, we leave and we're taking a walk. And he's like, dude, this is exactly what we need. He goes, but I just have to tell you, um, that what you're up against, he's like, it's, it's a study. He's like, it's the apes in a cage, monkeys in a cage, whatever it was. turns out I've looked into it. It, it didn't really happen, but it's an analogy that people use. And the story goes like this. There's a gigantic cage. There's like bananas hanging in the top of it. And there's 10 monkeys in this cage. And the monkeys are sitting there hanging out and they're like, oh man, bananas, pretty hungry. So they go to climb the cage, get some bananas. And once they get above a certain level, they get blasted with ice cold water from these high powered hoses. And obviously they come shooting down. They're like, what the heck was that? They don't quite put two and two together, but this happens a few times. And they're like, oh, okay, do not go for the bananas. And we don't get hit with cold water and we'll just wait for the food to come to us. Well, what they do is they switch out one monkey and put in a fresh one. Well, that monkey sees bananas. He's going for him. Before he can even like get his hands on the cage to go, all the monkeys beat his ass. They're like, nope. And what happens is another one gets switched out. Another one gets switched out. Another one gets switched out until there's 10 monkeys in this cage that have never experienced the cold water. But they, they know we don't go up and get the bananas. I don't know why. It's just the way that we've always done things, right? And so I think that the same thing happens in the fitness industry. And from a really young age, like, like six, seven years old, I've always told, especially my mom, because my mom would talk to me about, you got to do good in school. You got to do this to get a good job, to get into college, to get a good job. And I would always tell her, I'm never going to have a job. I'm going to be a rock star. Well, things worked out a little differently than I thought, but <laughs> uh, still kind of a rock star now. <laughs> but, but I still don't think that I have a typical job. And I always kind of had that mindset of, uh, I didn't like this stand in a line, do things this way. I've never really followed anything like that. And so when I went into personal training, I thought, you know, I, I probably will own my business one day. 
And so my lens of going through everything, I looked at the way that businesses were run, especially the way that trainers were treated because I was a trainer and I knew how I was being treated. And I listened to everything that trainers around me were saying. And it was things like you just said, like anyone that's ever worked in a commercial gym setting has probably experienced a situation like this. Uh, you have a 5 PM client, which is like prime spot. And at 4:50, that client contacts you and says, Hey, this happened, that happened, can't make it. Or they just no show it. Right. And you now have a choice. You can wind up docking them that session so that you get paid so that you can take care of your family and do whatever you do. Or you can say, no worries. We'll, we'll move that session along to another time. And you lost out on, on prime time, right? You lost money. So, or you, uh, you wind up docking them and sure you got paid, but you've kind of fractured that relationship with them potentially. Hopefully they would understand, but there's a good chance they're like, Hey man, like shit happens. What do you want me to do? So I hated that dilemma. And I especially hated that the managers and everyone else would kind of sit back and be like, yeah, man, do whatever you're gonna do. I have no part in this. So they're just like this, you're like this, they're a bystander and you get to be the bad guy or the good guy that doesn't get paid. And so things like that, things like, uh, how in the world can you take a vacation as a personal trainer? Because you couldn't possibly get paid. So how can you afford to miss out on an entire week's of pay on an entire week's pay? And for most trainers that I know, like you can't, unless you've saved up a lot of money. And then even then you're just dipping into your savings big time. So I could go on and on with examples like this, but so whenever we opened the gym, I was like, well, things don't need to be that way. So we don't do things by the session, which I think is actually pretty common. Now you, you pay a gym membership and you're paying for a number of days of access to the gym. We do semi-private personal training. Everyone gets their own customized yeah. program. You're getting two, three or four days a week access to the gym plus up to three days a week, uh, included in your membership. Everyone gets access to three days a week of group conditioning classes. So I know exactly what's coming into the gym every single month. So I can budget for that. And luckily up to this point, we've been blessed that the gym has been growing, 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 growing. So I can salary our coaches. So a couple things happen from that. One, I don't care if you know, show a session as a client. I understand that life's going to happen. I would appreciate it if you would let us know, but even if you don't, I'm not going to dock that session from you. As long as you're a client with us, you will have your sessions for life. It's like the old Sprint or AT&T commercials. Those like the rollover minutes, rollover sessions. On the flip side, the coach never has to worry about clients no showing a session. You're still going to get paid your same rate. And by the way, that's not an hourly rate. If we're slow and we don't need that many coaches on the floor, go home. You're going to get paid the exact same thing. You might go home today. The person that you coach with might go home early the next time. It doesn't matter. We all scratch each other's back. Um, you want to go on vacation? Awesome. You still get your salary. Why would I why would I have to dock your salary for you to go on vacation? Because the same amount of money is still coming in the gym. Everyone's still getting paid the same. The, the kind of catch to it, and it's never been an issue, is that we all scratch each other's back. So let's say that you work at the gym, you're going on vacation, you are getting your exact same pay that week. Now, a couple coaches are going to step up and cover your hours, which might sound overwhelming. But another part to this is we talk about the split shifts. Like we don't have split shifts. Our coaches work like four, maybe like... Yeah, four, maybe five hours tops a day. Some of them only three days a week. Um, and, and very short shifts where they can come in and bring their best. So to have a few coaches cover the shifts that they're missing when they're out for a week is not that much additional work. And everybody's down to do that because they know that someone will do that for them down the road. And oh, by the way, they have an unlimited number of times they can do this a year. Unlimited paid vacation. So people must vacation all the time, right? No we have to drag some of our coaches out the door and be like, don't come back for a week. 
Um, so, so Chris, where can all the trainers listening right now send yeah. their resume? What's yeah, your email? Well, if, if you would like to send a resume, it would be for an internship because I think like a lot of gyms, uh, we're at the point now where, uh, not a ton, but we've had some interns come through. Um, our internship program is actually growing really well. And so at this point, we, if we need to hire, which we have not had to in a long time, we did hire an, an intern, uh, earlier this year, um, if we do need to hire, we go to our Rolodex of interns, past, present, future. So, um, that's, that's the way that works. But I just, I, you have to, if you only look at what the training industry is doing, you'll do exactly what the training industry does. You have to go outside the training industry and look at what other companies are doing. And like, you know, when you hear of like, um, Richard Branson and, and, and different companies like that saying like, you can work from wherever. All I care about is that your work's done. That's how we do it at the gym. So sorry, I cut you off. You're starting to ask. No, me. it's great. I mean, it, it's got me fired up because it, admittedly, uh, you know, especially upon leaving MFF, that was sort of my goal. And for, you know, a window of time, I had a pretty, pretty solid schedule. And then, you know, the, the randomness of one client or another, because again, as a one man show without a roof, uh, you know, a, a physical, the, the struggle that I have as an independent trainer, and I think a lot of independent trainers has, if you're not at a certain type of gym where there's visibility, it's harder to get newer people on board. Um, you know, if I'm only training, say seven people a couple times a, a week, I, they're, you know, even if they refer out, that's not a big market of potential new people coming in. And so, you know, someone loses and that hit, you feel an individual hit that way differently. So then you start looking like, oh, somebody can work this evening thing. So I start taking that and it sort of organically builds out of desperation. And I'm always struggling with trying to find that realistically line between like really securing time for myself and the family, but also having to be realistic that like, you know, the rent is due. And yeah, yeah. that's the that's a little bit of the trap, right? That's like a little bit of the trainer life trap. But I do think, and I, I love that you actually broke out your business model that way. Cause I think that's going to open a lot of eyes, um, that it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, but certainly you're ever growing, but you have a nice base already established. So there's a, a sense of security there. And I think so many trainers and freelance employees in any, any field and entrepreneurs in any field, it's like that, it's you either have enough of a base to feel solid there. And I don't feel, I don't mean risk-free, like everything's always got, you know, it's always about risk assessment to some degree. But I think so many of us are just like fearful to make a long-term bold choice to be like, this is that. Because then suddenly you're like, you know, I just had to have four wisdom teeth pulled out. Yeah. That was like, even with insurance, 800 bucks, maybe more after, you know, um, yeah. those types of things. But I think you can strive and plan to find that point when you're there. I know I tried to, so I would find that, you know, I would make, I make decent money when I travel and teach, but I'm also not teaching sessions while I'm away, right? So it's like I'm making X, but I'm losing X, right? And it's always got to be yep. that balance of, is this a total loss? Is it worth it? How much profit is this? Um, uh, you know, I know some people will travel and, and you know, do courses that like, you can't be coming home with a lot. It seems glamorous, but at the end of the day, if you know, if you have to fly out on a Thursday to teach on a Saturday, Sunday or a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like, you know, that's time away from home, but it's a lot of missed sessions. So when I left MFF, this whole idea of like really never expanding online thing, I wanted like 40 online people. And then I hit 15. And I'm like, I don't want to <laughs> have 40 online yeah. training clients, yeah. even systemized. Like it's, it's, it's a different type of work at that point. I've found for myself somewhere in the 15 is like the sweet spot. 
and that's kind of for what I do where I'm trying to trying to look. So I think everyone has to sort of explore those avenues. But I thought like, you know, I'd be able to work anywhere. Like I can, you know, I'm going to Japan for a week next week and, you know, I could do online sessions while I'm there. And to some degree I can, but if I had 40 online clients and then I'm teaching two days, I'm in Japan. I also want to be able to see Japan. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. in a 13 hours in the future. So how, how really on my game am I going to be with yeah. my central nervous system frying out, especially in Japan, the home of Akira Kurosawa and Godzilla, like it's not going to be my A game. Right. Um, And I I think that's something. And I can't remember if it was Todd or someone else said like, you know, go ahead and be an entrepreneur in like Thailand making $20,000 a year. It might've been Fisher actually. Maybe he said that. And I think a lot of our online business entrepreneur stuff isn't making the amount of money people want to say that it is or believe that it is. That, you know, there's all these programs like make six figures training online, make $500,000 training online from anywhere. And I just really don't think, because like in Thailand, you can live very cheaply, very comfortably. um, And you're in Thailand, so you don't need to make $100,000. Whereas, you know, I'm speaking as a a well into middle-aged man with, you know, two kids, you know, wife, you know, child support, which is like an extra rent, like (laughs) bills, And, you know, having gone through a divorce, having gone in through a second career change, like, you know, I'm always on that edge. I'll openly admit, like, I'm finally in a position to be getting out of debt. You know, it'll take a few years, but like, finally, that stuff is is happening. And, but I don't have savings and I'm crapping about taxes like everybody else. Um, Yeah. But, you know, this has been a, 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 a worthwhile enough endeavor for myself because I love it. And, you know, I think the thing that we have in our field that some fields don't have, and it's a shame, is that, like, we can legitimately know that we're helping people, right? Like, at the end of the day, it's a business based around helping people, not selling people stuff they don't need. It's actually we're selling things that everyone does need. Yeah. Right? Um, And so that makes it worthwhile for me. But I also think that's one of the reasons why, again, you know, if the trainer lifespan, average lifespan of a trainer is three years, it's because it's usually more work than it seems financially, not as rewarding as you think it'll be. And, uh, you know, you just get wiped out by it. It's a, and, and that's when it's like, you see, you know, I remember my first year, I probably could have worked at McDonald's entry level and made, Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, like what I, but you know, when I made that first year, it's a, it's a process. So like what I don't want to do is like, obviously I just painted this picture of what we have going on at the gym. One, I don't want anyone to think, because it's, it's actually one of the biggest letdowns, I think, is that you see everyone on social media, including some of the biggest names in the industry, and you think, you know what, they're just absolutely killing it, and they have no stresses about money, about their business, about anything, and we've had the, the pleasure of being able to connect with and become friends with and talk to most of these, most of these people. Like Everyone has the same struggles. There's, there's a rare few people, and even then, I'd be skeptical that are actually like everything is just hunky dory and I have no stress. It's like every single day for me is stressful. It doesn't mean that I'm like wondering how I'm going to put food on the table anymore, but like my responsibilities are so much more, but that's not really where I was going to go with it. But, but the big things are a couple things that you touched on is we talk a lot about money right there, but if, if money, one of the things we talk about with our employees all the time is like, if money is the reason why you're doing anything, just get out just stop right now. And I'm, I know that you're not, but like, it's like, yes, you need to have your base needs covered. Um, if you're coming into the training industry to get rich, can you do it? Yes. 
But like, if that's your reason, get out, get out. It's everything you just said about helping people. That's what we do. That's the most rewarding aspect of what we do. And when you can get focused on that, the money will take care of itself as long as you're not an idiot <laughs> running your business, right? Um, and then with that, I think with the money is like removing the mystery of money. Because what will happen is if, if you live like beyond your means or like really pushing your means all of the time, as you make more money, you will find, and I'm speaking from experience on this, you will find that you just keep pushing that, pushing that, pushing that. And I, I did, you know, I think a lot of people know we just, not a lot, but like some people know we moved into a, a rather large gym uh, recently. Our old gym was tiny. It was 1,100 square feet. So the rent was nothing. Um, it might as well have been nothing. And we were really, really profitable. We didn't have a lot of employees. And I'll be transparent in that I made a lot of money because I did that and I had the stuff that I'm doing with the tactical group and other things that I'm involved in. I made a lot of money. And like, in some ways I was like, Oh shit, I made it. <laughs> and the problem was that I didn't do anything with that. Like, I mean, sure I did. Right. Like we started strength faction. We, we have all these things going on, but in terms of like a savings and being smart with my money and really thinking long-term in the future, no, I was honestly pretty dumb with my money. And so now uh, I have an uh, almost eight month old. She'll be eight months here in, in like the next week. Uh, so an almost eight month old moved the gym into where the rent is a, a little over six times what it was. Then not to mention insurance, and everything else going up, having more employees, payroll being higher. And all of a sudden you're like, oh man. And for the first time in, in and I know woe is me on this, but for the first time in a long time, I'm like really sitting down and being like, shit. I need to think about money a lot more. And when I say in a long time, it was like two years where I was just like, cool. And it, it's like, I think that a common path in personal training is that you live paycheck to paycheck and maybe sometimes like negative paycheck, negative paycheck, like through yeah. credit cards. Cause I did that. And so I'm not saying any of this to be like, Oh man, like I was doing awesome. I was so cool. It's just that I think that I lived like the compressed financial lifestyle for so long. And once I hit a point where it was like, okay, I can actually do things. It was so cool to just be like, let's go out to dinner. I don't care what the bill is. Let's go do this. I don't care what the bill is. And I did all of the experiential things and I don't regret any of that. So now that I've, I've experienced like multiple ends of the spectrum, by no means not the top end, by no means not the bottom end, but like a decent array of the spectrum financially, I think the biggest thing I've learned is to remove the mystery of, of finance, of like what you actually want. So sit back and think like, you know, if you're trying to get, uh, you know, things we talk to people about, if you're trying to get a house, if you're married, you're single, whatever it is, like sit down and really figure out what are your bills? Um, what do you want in terms of like, what, what are those things going to cost you and figure out what you actually need to make a month. And then you can figure out, cause it's like you said, 40 clients, like, and, and maybe that was based on something, but when you can really sit back and go, this is exactly what I need to make a month. And then you can start to look at your passions and everything else and say, can I do it with this? And if not, okay, well then, then what are like the next things that I'm, that I'm yeah. willing to do to do that? And all, or honestly, one of the biggest things is like, do I actually really want all of those things? Because if I'm working my entire life to try and attain things or even some experiences, like, is that really what I want? And, and I find like the answer is probably no, not really. Um, no, it's, I I, I totally agree with that. Like I know when I was so uh, forgetting where I read it, or if, I think I heard it on the Fitcast. Dan John was on the Fitcast, and Dan was just talking about how at a certain point when he was like, you know, super broke, 
he just basically created the image of where he wanted to, what, what he wanted in his life, you know, a house, a car, uh, again, nothing extravagant, but he just had this image and he envisioned it. And then he just started taking the action steps towards that specific goal. Yes. And I texted Dan when I was, you know, getting ready to leave. I might've been right after I actually gave notice uh, to MFF because I loved MFF, but I also did not love, I love the place I got caught in that fitness struggle of just like crazy hours, right? Like it just, you know, and also needing supplemental revenue streams. I was just grinding myself out and, you know, texted Dan and thanked him for that. And I think that's a big one. Um, you know, for me, my money generally gets wasted on two things. Uh, and it would be food and my Godzilla toys. <laughs> and, you know, I'm trying to be better at it, but I, I'm like you said too, it's like, I've been on that that bleeding edge more often than not. And I still want to be able to take, you know, the kids or the wife and go do something cool or have, you know, Christmas and whatnot. Um, And that is a struggle, but I think it is one of those things that we all have to come to grips with because the thing with training is this, and I know as, as before I got into it um, basically, so I was making, I had a good living as an executive producer or senior producer at the time at a, at a visual effects company, making a good amount of money, more money than I ever thought I would. Not the most I've ever made, but like solid living. Right. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is how much I would need to make every month to pay my bills and put a little bit away. Right. Like that, that was literally it. And that number was so dramatically lower. Clearly my savings were going to be lower, but that number was lower. And then of course I blew up my life chasing happiness with the end of my marriage and stuff. And that was another one. The only thing that I'm proud of is this debt that I'm fighting though I probably could have gotten it a lot lower is that number stayed within $2,000 in seven years of this switch. So that means I did find a way to like at least start to sustain. And, you know, again, going independent from MFF took away a lot of financial stability. So, you know, and I knew that when you guys like you, you, uh, everyone should really try to follow their heart, but before you just jump in or quit a job or whatever, you have to do some realistic risk assess, a risk assessment. So like yeah. you don't jump into, you know, for those that ever, like we used to have these like pools that we used to skate in, in Long Island, where it was like the public pool. And in the summer you jump in and you jump in the pool and in the, the fall and the winter, when it was empty, you'd go wait for the cops not to be there and you throw your board yeah. over and you go skate. But yeah. you would know that there was water, either water or no water in the pool. And I think a lot of us are just like, I'm going to go do this because I'm going to follow my heart. And that is not the best way. And again, if you're single and have a bunch of roommates, like that's one thing. If you have a spouse that's got a ton of money, that's another way. But there is this line of like following uh, your path, your calling for my fellow Pressfield fans, but also being realistic about it. And I think we have this realistic impression of like where we want to be. And then there's this idea that like I can train somebody for $300 an hour. I'm like, I've never charged $300 an hour. Um, And I know some people that do. And I know a lot of people I think that tell people they do and they don't. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love where that. It's like a perpetual friend rate, but you know, I'm $300, you know, but, um, <laughs> but for you, it, it, but for you, I will do, uh, five sessions for that same $300. Yeah, exactly. You know, cause, cause here's the other thing, you know, as a guy who's got titles in, in education in the field, you know, <laughs> let's just, this isn't to put anybody down and I'm not naming names. I'm not naming organizations. This is going to be a very general across the board thing. So this is for everybody uh, that might have a a hero in the kettlebell world or in whatever world that they're following. Right. How many of the people that like you really love that teach in leadership, do you know, have successful gyms? Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Right, like that's a big, or, or even coaching is their full time job. Even coaching is their full time job, right? Um, and when people say online coaching, like you can make a good amount of money online coaching, but what exactly is that, right? Like I had a great conversation with Beth Andrews two episodes ago, and she's writing you a personalized program. You are getting personalized program with me if you train with me because you can't train with me a because you either can't afford me on an hourly rate or b you're just too far away right? Like that's like legit. And I think my rate is well worth it. It's certainly cheaper than training with me hourly um, over the course of four weeks. You know, with the education that Strength Faction pulls in, you might look at the course of four four months. It's like, that seems like a lot, but man, I got to tell you the dollar value to it isn't, but what else are you yeah. spending that money on? Um, and I think in online training, if somebody's, you know, a lot of people online train and I'm not against this, but it's also some of it's just like sign up for the workout. Here's a workout. And that's the end of where I'm at. And I have to admit, I'm pursuing that to some degree because I know that people can't afford the stuff that I'm doing even at my regular rate. So I'm not dissing it, but this idea of like, you know, if someone's throwing out an online program and it's 10 bucks a month, think of how many people you need to have. Yeah. to make money at 10 bucks a month, right? Even if you're just shooting videos and you spend eight hours a day, like, are you going to get 300 people to do that? Um, yeah. People that throw out their six month online, you know, six week online program, um, you know, and it's like a plug and play, but it's only like, you know, X amount of dollars, well under a hundred, probably under 50. Like how many people do you need to sign up to do that, to make it worth your while? Uh, there's business models that work and are expandable that I think are rad. And I think if you have the right amount of reach, but I think there's a lot of ideas, what you said about these social media people and, and higher ups that you think they've got it all fucking figured out, man. And I'm going to tell you, most of us don't. And you know, it's one of the reasons why we gravitate to the ones that honestly do. And one of the things I've noticed more and more in social media, and every now and then, like the other day, I texted Todd, like, is this cat really like this big a dick? This, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Like a really thing. And then, you know, there was another one that Casey had pointed on uh, that you had hopped on. And, and on one end of the spectrum, it's really easy to like hold these so certain folks really high up. And then on the other, you're just like, man, you just seem like you're somehow elevating by stepping on or intimidating or imposing. And then you see the bandwagon effect of like, ha, that was funny. I believe that. Right. That's that guy now is like matches my belief system versus like, are they really that loaded? Right. Like, and you know, more and more again, I think I've said this before, but like for enthusiasts out there that, you know, you, you might see a trainer, like your trainer should know how to move well, should know how to coach well and should be reasonably fit. Are they going to be the biggest, leanest person in the room at all times? Probably not. A lot of times the biggest person in the room might be the worst coach or at least the worst mover in the room. This isn't a generalization, but you just never know. So there's all these assumptions that someone might get the most likes on Instagram based on some dumbass comment that sounds like really important, um, but really have no like financial backing to back it up. Right? I mean, look at at how many male and female fitness models there are on Instagram with millions (laughs) of followers that apparently all they have to do are crunches and like Bulgarian split squats and that's it. And the the perfect lighting and the right angle and the, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, Right. (laughs) And, and, and the one thing you said there was you were like, 
you said something along the lines of like about people that actually have it figured out. I'd like to know who they are because I, I don't think anyone has it figured out. And I, I would say if someone if someone's telling you that they have it figured out, they absolutely don't have it figured out. Right. So like, I, my, my version of having it figured out is like knowing that we don't. Right. Does that make yeah, sense? There you go. Like, there you go. I, for, yeah. for me, you're a cat that has it figured out. Todd's a cat that has it figured out by you not that, having it figured by out, by <laughs> not having it fully figured out, but continuing to pursue that. Like, I yeah. don't think there's ever going to be a, a business model. That's just like, this is exactly what it is. Do this. And this is it. Certainly it might help. It and I've never, and I've never been in a mastermind, so I don't know how all of those things work, you know, but like, I, I just don't see it. And yeah. I will say, you know, there's a lot of imitation, you know, I, I just saw, and I had no idea this, like a, a gym that literally looks like they went to the developer and said, uh, go visit markfisherfitness.com and do that for us. Oh, no way. That's and, awesome. uh, I mean like shockingly, and I don't good, know, good if, <laughs> I don't know if they're mentored or not. And, you know, but it's not the only time I've seen it, but you know, I've seen like the rise of the unicorn mask and the socks and the underwear since MFS popularity. That's been one thing. Um, but this was like, literally, I was like, it's like, if somebody took my die mighty tattoo, I'm holding up my hand for Chris, but if you took the die mighty logo of the sword and the stone in the coffin, yep. um, but instead of a sword, it was an ax. It's basically that it's like, but the coffin and the block and the two tone is exactly the same. And, you know, I think that's how we're trying to figure it out. We're sometimes we're just trying to copy somebody that has success. But I also, you know, as a, as an MFF employee, MFF is super transparent. Mark and Michael will let you know, and Mark will, Mark will be the first to let you know, doesn't really know what he's doing some of the times, but they always seem like educated guesses because you can't know for sure. Clearly, those yeah. cats are some of the smartest people in the business. So when they make a decision, they've got a lot of reasons to support their decision. Um, I've actually never been involved with any company of any style that was more considerate and thoughtful and mindful about things. Um, but you know, we, you know, they know Mark will be the one who's like, these are all the things we do and they seem to be working, but I also don't know what I'm doing. Right. Like that'll yeah. come from him. And that's a guy in my opinion in Keeler that, that, that get it, you know, that, that, that they, that they know what, what's happening and it's this X factor and that's in every job in life. And, and that's one of those things. Uh, I don't want to discourage anybody. Right. Like uh, I, I feel like I sometimes talk about my struggles, the things I've gotten out of this listeners, uh, my struggles included are so much greater than any financial woe or mental stress or, uh, additional drinking or gaining 10% body fat during the course of this journey, uh, I've ever had, uh, just getting to have yeah. this and, and, and you listeners listen to my friends, the fact that these, my friends are all people I did not know for the most part, seven years ago. It's it's an amazing journey because I wanted to, I knew somewhere I wanted to be on it right. If you think it's something other, like it's easier, it's fun, um, and you know a money windfall is going to come because an hourly rate of like a hundred dollars an hour, fifty dollars an hour sounds like a lot. Like that's the part where it's misleading. Um, so you should do that, but like you should really understand that like. For all of us, I know it, Strength Faction, for a ton of us, August was one of the worst Augusts we've had. There are certain months in fitness that, generally speaking, people go away. It's the summertime. <clears throat> it's that last charge before, you know, September work mode kicks back in. And everything takes a little bit of a dip. 
And I know for some of us, myself included, that was like a brutal one. Um, you got to be prepared for that. And then you start to see the tides, right? And this is like production too. If I go back into, you know, being a, being a producer, um, in that movie, Shakespeare in Love, I think it's Jeffrey Rush has this great line. I think it's Jeffrey Rush where it's like, you know, all this hell is breaking loose on the theater and he's just like, it'll work out. And they're like, how do you know? He's like, that's just how it does. But you have to proactively make it work out. And I think a lot of us aren't prepared for that part of the struggle where we think we, we're going to learn, we're going to get our kettlebell cert or whatever. And that's going to be the key piece. And I've known some people, you know, that, you know, I'm going to go uh, either take this course again or assist at this course. And that's going to set me up in the industry. And no. And we spend so much time trying to set ourselves up amongst other trainers versus people <laughs> that are more likely potential Bingo. clients. Bingo. Um, and this is where, you know, I think there's a lot more trying to, trying to look good in front of your, or worrying about what our peers, what other coaches are going to think and totally missing the mark in terms of what people in your area that you're actually working with really care about. Cause they don't give a crap about any of that, who, you know, in the fitness industry. Cause they don't know them. <laughs> yeah. Name the biggest names, unless, unless you think the biggest name in the fitness industry is like Jillian Michaels or something like that. Like, which then, okay, maybe, yeah, then they know who that is. And that's kind of a problem in itself, but they don't know these people that you think are the top people in the fitness industry. If you put it on your, like who would do this, but if you had it on your website, like best friends with, and you wrote like the top coaches, people would be like, are they like guys you went to high school with? Like what? It, they don't care. So, and a lot of people align themselves that way of it being that. Now there's other obviously value in networking and everything, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so meet the cool people. Come to Strength Faction yeah. and meet the cool people. <laughs> what is nice, and, and, and this is, I think, you know, that, that I, I have found um, in this great opportunity I get to teach for several groups is there's a like-mindedness between members of a lot of the groups where people will go through a hard style kettlebell cert, either, either brand, um, they'll come to Original Strength, or they go to DVRT and then they go to original strength or, you know, whatever these pieces are. And you start to see the same faces at a lot of these. And it's not just, uh, 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 you know, uh, collecting certs. It's actually legitimately people's eyes stay open, minds light up to certain types of training. And I think we're lucky that within that background, that does seem to bring a lot of cool people together. Like it just somehow becomes like a, a fitness filter. And I think there's other things where you might be super into this thing and, I, and we're just never going to meet because I don't care what that is. Right. Does that make sense? I don't want to throw a certain implement or anything under the, or, or brand under the bus, but like, that's not going to be my thing. And folks, I'm not talking about CrossFit. Get over it. I'm not talking about CrossFit, <laughs> um, but it, it's just, you know, in strength faction, there's a lot of spillover and expansion. Cause like, and again, one of the things I picked up at MFF is I wasn't very, I wasn't much exposed to like the Boyle Cressy world. You know, I came from more of like a Hankin, uh, Pavel, you know, great cook world. And then where those are all sort of way more meshed together than ever before. And I think across the board, a lot of the ego is going away that I didn't love that was involved in the kettlebell land. And I think a lot of like those kettlebell guy attitudes from other groups are going away as well. So that we can actually just focus on helping people and, and making friends with each other as opposed to like, I'm so fucking tactical and elite because my shirt says so. Yeah. Right? That yeah. was a rant folks. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, let's, let's switch gears for a moment here. Cause uh, one of the things Chris and I were talking about 
you know, a lot of people struggle to open spots and I've seen friends, including MFF really struggle in the process of opening a spot. And Chris mentioned his newer facility and it's big, but I also remember it was very quick. Like from the moment, cause this was around the time actually we were at Dragon Door Health and Strength Conference. I think you were waiting for them to sign off on the lease. I, I remember you were waiting for emails on that at, at, at the dinner. Yeah, I forget what month that was, but it happened quick. Yeah, it was, like, quick. it was like, it was, uh, that was August. It was because it was Kim's birthday. She was pissed at me. I was there for, I was in, a, I was with you instead of my wife. So yeah, I was probably waiting on the lease proposal. So basically like yeah. uh, the way it went down was we knew well in advance that we were not staying uh, if I on a future episode, we can go into the backstory of like how we wound up in the situation we were in, but we knew we were not staying with the landlord that we were with. Uh, it was a terrible situation. Five years was more than enough. So like two years out, we were like, let's start prospecting, you know, locations and stuff. And one, you know, I have no uh, opinion of this type of training, but CrossFit made it very, very hard for us to get a facility because no landlord in the area wanted to rent to a strength conditioning facility because they were just like, Oh, you do CrossFit. Mm. And so what that means is that you have, you know, a dozen or more people at one time dropping barbells from overhead, playing blaring loud music, and we can't have anyone be a neighbor to you. So that made it like, everyone was like, no, 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 no. And when I tried to explain like, man, that's not at all what we do. In fact, we don't even do Olympic lifting at our facility. Um, No one wanted to hear that. And so a year and a half, two year search came down to the wire. Our uh, lease was up in the beginning of October of last year and August, we didn't have anything yet. (laughs) And anyone that's ever moved to gym is like, there's no way that you could find something, negotiate the lease and be moved in and operational in eight weeks. And uh, we did it in about six. So you can. And the way that that works is you get really, really lucky. And I honestly would love to tell you how to do this again. It's just that when I had the conversation with this company, I was like, we're done here. I love it. This is it. Um, was one, it was a gym pre-existing, And uh, there's a bit of like a bad omen here, but it doesn't really freak me out. But it was a Gold's Gym. This is actually a good thing. The Gold's Gym outgrew that space and they moved into a big, even bigger facility. And then it became, get ready for it. The name was Spunk fitness um, and if you would if you would see the logo it was just as questionable as the name uh it was a gym called spunk fitness yeah pretty bad and uh what happened was they were so close to us and they were one of those ten dollar a month gyms kind of like uh planet fitness that we didn't have showers at our old facility and so people always used to say oh man do you have showers i'd be like no but how much extra a month like let's say we were to get showers how much extra a month would you be willing to pay for access limited access to showers and people are like, no, I don't know. I'm like, well, would you pay 10 bucks a month? And when they're like, oh yeah, I'd easily pay 10 bucks a month. I'm like, awesome. One block from here, go pay 10 bucks a month, use their showers, train here, walk in. They're going to be so confused and I'm totally cool with that. And so some of our people actually already went to this place to get showers, which is awesome. So we're searching, 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 nothing's coming up. And one day I was out for a drive and this, uh, they call it like, uh, I don't know if it's like a real term, but like fishbowl windows where during the day they're like mirrors. You can't see in. At night, when the lights are on, you can see in clear as day. So I it was used to driving by this place because it's near one of our favorite uh, brewery restaurants. I was used to driving by and always just looking in and being like, oh, there's that gym. And one night I drove by and it appeared to be completely empty. And I was like, 
no way. Like, how could that be? They were just busy the other day. So I turn around, I pull into the driveway and I look in the windows and it's empty. There's the front wow. desk is still there, but like there's zero equipment. You can tell they quickly ripped things out. The wall had like some stuff where they pulled down decals, like where the paint was peeled away. And I was like, man. So I hit up our uh, realtor and I was like, dude, can you look into this? I gave him the address. Um, and he came back and he was like, dude, it's, it just went on the market. Like just went on the market. He's like, I'll hit him up. And so the next day we met, um, one of the, the guys over there and, uh, Keith is his name. And we walked in and every other person that we met with, all they wanted to, all they cared about was like, how loud are you? Everything else. And, and this guy was just like real cool. And he was asking to me, like the right questions. He was more concerned about us as a business. Like, would this be the right space for us? What's our, you know, what are we looking at doing? Um, and one of the biggest things that he said was about how they treat their tenants. He's like, I can tell you that we're not the cheapest in the area. We're competitive. He's like, but we're not the cheapest in the area. I can also tell you that we have had people finish out leases with us. They own so much property in this area and go somewhere else and hit us up as soon as that lease ended and be like, I want to come back. Like I had no idea what it was like. Sure. I got cheaper, but I just did not get any of the service that you guys provide. I mean, they're so awesome. So he says to me, for example, he was talking about how awesome his owner, like the owners of the company are. And he was saying that they actually petitioned the state because legally in like the contracts, the word landlord is used over and over. And it's like a, it's a legal term that's in every agreement that someone signs. And they petitioned the state to try and get rid of the term landlord. And they wanted everything to be um, about like, like the terminology go more towards like relationships. Cause he was like, we are painstakingly aware that if we don't have you and all the other businesses that are filling our buildings, we aren't the landlord who owns everything. And then we just happen to provide you with an opportunity. Like this is a reciprocal relationship. Wow. So we want to do everything in our power to make you guys happy so that you want to stay with us, obviously, unfortunately, but fortunately for all of us, we have to charge you because we're all going to make money off this. Right. Um, and he's like, but we just believe in doing things the right way. And we've been there for just over a year now. And one, I mean, it started with the design. It was a gym pre-existing, but the, I mean, if you think about like, we're, we're a regular training gym. We don't have volume of a hundred of hundreds of people being in the gym at one time. At most we might have maybe, uh, like 23 to 25 people in the gym at once. And that would only be if we have like this one team, a swim team that we train. If every single kid shows up and the eight people that we see in our semi-private, that would be a packed gym. Plus the mixed martial arts gym that is our neighbor. But, um, with them, maybe there'll be like 60 people in the gym, but not hundreds. So we don't need all this locker room space. So we said, all right, we'd like to put up walls here. We'd like to get rid of a lot of this locker room space, build offices. I want this one office with a window overlooking the strength floor so that when people come in to check out the gym, we can bring them in there for consultations, blah, 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 blah. And they're just like, yep, yep, yep. Okay. Now, mind you, at this point, we already knew what rent was going to be. And we're like, man, what's all that going to cost? And they were like, oh, well, we own the property, the construction company, the blah, blah, blah. It's not going to cost you anything else. And we were like, wow. what? And they covered everything. Um, I mean, to this day, like the other day, I wanted a new outlet because um, we, we got like compression gear, like, like recovery stuff. And uh, I was like, man, I wish there was an outlet. And so I hit them up and they were there a few days later, installed the outlet. No questions asked. Didn't ask for a thing. Um, they actually <laughs> came in the other day. They were like, we heard you have some lights out. Now, anyone that has a warehouse space, if a light way up in the ceiling goes out, like one goes out, it's not even a big deal. I was like, well, how did you know we had a light out? And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and they came in and they went and got, they went, they looked, all right, it's that kind. They went, they got the lights, they put them in. Nothing. Not like, hey, you owe us 10 bucks now, anything like that. Um, 
I mean, they've sent us like chocolates for every holiday and I mean, everything, 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 everything has been absolutely awesome. They uh, gave me and my wife uh, box seats to a Redskins Eagles game earlier this year. I mean, just uh, they go so far above and beyond. I'm ranting way too much about that. The big thing was, I don't know how you find someone else like that. Yeah, I was going to say, I, 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 I mean, and, and they did it so fast. We told them we have, we have six weeks and they were like, well, construction's probably going to take eight weeks, but I'll tell you what, we can actually get you in there. We'll do everything so you can be in in four and uh, we'll just continue working on, we'll get everything that's like going to be in the way if we're working on it. We'll get that done in like four to five weeks so that you're in there ahead of schedule and not stressed out. And we'll just work on everything else around your hours. And that's what wow. they did. <laughs> It was amazing. Yeah. I remember being shocked because that was happening pretty, pretty close in line, actually, with just hearing about the start. I think MFF might have like signed the lease on Bowery, uh, but we hadn't started construction or anything on that around that time. And just being a part of that process, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of insane. But I think that's like very useful. Like, I don't think people think about what the management company might be like, right? It's very much like, is this the right spot? And here's the money and it's just the money. But like all those other things weigh in long-term on such a a bigger deal. I know one of the issues in Brooklyn and and it's one of the reasons why, you know, my idea of ever opening a spot is, is, is low without like some sort of super great investor is, you know, a lot of these spaces will take a loss by being empty in the hopes of a Starbucks, a Dwayne Reed, or like a Citibank. Like they're they're willing to like hedge those those bets to make it almost less profitable in some ways for themselves. Like they'll actually make a bigger uh, uh, discount things for bigger brands because they know the securities yeah. there versus well, they're, they're, trying to help anchors. mom and pop. Yeah, they're anchors. People, if if they have mass amounts of daily walk-in traffic i know this when we looked at spots like a grocery store if you're doing the square footage on that going like holy crap how in the world can they pay like they're not paying the same thing square footage you because they're they're bringing i would imagine like if it's like a wegmans or something thousands of people a day that are pulling into that shopping center so they're anchoring like every other business around there right so and they're signing really really long leases but that's also why sometimes todd and i were talking about this the other day like back in State College, Pennsylvania, if anyone remembers the stores Ames, I don't know if they were like all over the country, but Ames. I know of it. I don't think we had them here, but I know of the name of Ames. So I don't know about today, but as long as I was at Penn State and for a couple of years after I graduated, I just don't know beyond that. I haven't been back. There was a gigantic store that was in Ames that was vacant and it would have been perfect for like a big, like a huge gym, something that I know people were trying to do and no one was going in that spot. And I don't remember how I heard, but eventually what I heard was that those stores sign such long leases, like we're talking decades, and there's no way of getting out of it. And what happens is the rate that that store apparently paid was high enough that no one else was going to come in and pay that. And that landlord's going to get their money through this, however the heck they do it when they shut down stores, right? So that landlord has no incentive to provide that building to someone else for cheaper. You follow? They're just, they're just Yeah, I mean... So it's, they'll just sit on it vacant. When you say that, so, like there's a... There used to be a department store back in the day called Times Square Stores, TSS. It's where I got my ear pierced for the first time when I was <laughs> in eighth grade. Uh, sorry, eighth, eighth grade. Uh, and then that became, they remodeled it, and it became an Office Max, Barnes & Noble, Kmart. And the Barnes & Noble was the first to go. The Kmart was the second to go. And I, I don't know if the Office Max, I haven't driven on this street in a while, but massive right? Yeah. Like two massive build, you know, uh, stores. 
vacant for for years and i'm like shit why can't someone build a skate park in there like forget any other business like an indoor something <laughs> yeah um you know uh, no by, by us right now um just five blocks up there there's a there was a path mark and inside the path mark you know you, you go into the building and there's a path mark and a dunkin donuts uh, a, a wine discount place and a de- uh an eyeglass place and the path mark closed, and this path mark was huge. And it had a really big parking lot, which in Brooklyn is very rare. In my neighborhood, to have a big parking lot is very rare. And now there's a retro fitness in a different spot. I'm really hoping people are still going to this wine place because it's actually like a really nice shop with like, you know, uh, it's not fancy, but it's good prices. I can't imagine anybody's going to get their glasses there that hasn't lived in a neighborhood less than five years. And now they're using that parking lot as like some sort of like, I guess people are paying to store their trucks there. It's like full of trailer cabs. It's kind of crazy. We used to go, that's where I was teaching the kids how to skateboard. And, you know, I never even thought about these long-term, if you have a 20-year lease on something, that like, why why would you get rid of it? Why, it's just free money coming in with no upkeep. That's yep. crazy talk. And um, that's, that's also the management company that's running that, just not budging. Like, I know, I, I am... I can't say I'm certain, but I mean, I know what our like clauses are to be able to break the lease that we're in now, but I also know like the people from this company are accessible and they're a huge company. They own properties. They're based in Baltimore. They're not a local company. They own properties all over. But I know that if we ran into hard times and something happened, I can hit them up and I'm absolutely certain they would work with us. And if I needed to break the lease or something, I, cause I know that we talked about that of, of them talking about different companies, you know, this, that, the other thing happens. Like, they're like, we've worked with everyone always on that. You know, it's like, Amazing. but not every company is going to do that. Other companies are just going to be like, nope, you signed here. Like things that people don't think about when they go and do a lease. Like what are, what are your, if this, like what, and then like, what are you going to do? You know? Yeah. And I think a lot of people get so excited to get their business that they don't worry about that kind of stuff or even just, did you even read your lease? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so. I'll say this for, for our apartment. So Kim and I live in a large apartment. Like it is one of those things. It's, it's not in the greatest neighborhood, but it's like two blocks from like a really fun part of the town in Brooklyn. And when we walked in, like our places, the building's a little bit run down, not horrible, but like, you know, there was a lot of stuff we wish could change. And they're like, no, but it's 1800 square feet. So in, in Brooklyn for what we pay, I'm not going to say the price of it. And this is our apartment <laughs> folks. It's not my gym, uh, not entirely, at least it's a big apartment, right? And the realtor has, we're like one of maybe two spaces in Brooklyn and they have a ton of spaces in Manhattan. And it's where, it's why I was able to have Fury Industries. So when people ask if I opened a gym, Kim and I just have a, a, an office space that is like a legit training floor in an office, like eight by 10, 20 plus kettlebells, pull up bar, TRX, bands, Indian clubs, sandbags, all, you know, sandbags, all the stuff. Um, especially with my skill set. I, I don't need barbells to get people strong. You know, if I have access to them, I use them. I don't need them here. But they've been going through an over year long inspection process. And we've got holes in certain walls outside where they look to see about a, asbestos and fireproofing. They just had to check all of our sprinklers, uh, sprinkler heads, uh, which meant they cut out 16 to 18 holes in our ceiling to check and remount <laughs> every sprinkler head. Uh, cause this is a former factory building and it has now been two months since that has been even remotely addressed that they're going to fix it. Right. Because this management company rents, uh, to a cell phone carrier and has a billboard that apparently the billboard alone on the roof makes over 150, it makes about $150,000 a month. 
So that's more than all of the combined rents of all of the tenants. So how much can they actually care about us? And, uh, you know, that's one of those troubling things. So to hear that there actually are groups like that, that aren't, you know, I've heard of good, you know, landlords and stuff, but they generally work in cl closer proximity. So there's more of a face-to-face yeah. -face relationship on the regular, yeah. but to have that as a big company is awesome. So, uh, and if, and if anyone's wondering, and there is zero that I've been able to find zero connection. If you didn't hear earlier, my last name is Merritt, M-E-R-R-I-T-T. This company is Merritt Properties, M-E-R-R-I-T-T. -T. So it's hilarious. Like whenever, whenever I was signing the lease, it's like Merritt, Merritt, Merritt. And I was like, okay, what's me? What's me? Right? <laughs> and, uh, and it's especially funny since they're a big company and you call the office, they have like, you know, uh, office staff that'll like answer the phone. And when they say, uh, yeah, can I ask who's calling? And you say, Chris Merritt. And they're like, oh, excuse me, who is this? And like, they think that you're <laughs> in the family and like, oh yes, hang on one second. It's like, it's hilarious to me. Now they know who I am. But in the beginning, there was always this, like, can I ask who's calling? Yeah, this is Chris Merritt. And then silence. Yeah, you should like, be like, get me, get me, get me John so-and-so, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Roll out so, the red carpet. I'm wearing red socks today. <laughs> Yes. Hey, but, uh, uh, by the way, now that I know this company, uh, you BSP is now beyond spunk performance. Yes. So bad. So <laughs> I'm going to open a new gym. Uh, that's half spinning called jizz theory. Yes. <laughs> we made, we made so many jokes about it whenever we were looking at the building and, and, uh, uh, one of the people that, that worked with the property management company was just like, he was saying that, uh, he was talking to his, I think it was his wife or his girlfriend. I forget. I don't know what their, what their exact situation is, but she was like, I don't get it. And he was like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, we're going to start to wrap this up. Chris and I, uh, Chris is used to playing a band and toured. Chris is an exceptional guitarist. Uh, and we have some very similar interests in music when we, when we were actually at that dragon door thing, getting to finally hang out for the first time a lot. Um, you turned me on to some bands uh, from coming from like the DC area. Name like one or two of your all time favorite DC bands. Oh, I'm not from the DC area, man. Where are you from? There you go. I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Oh shit. See, I don't know them so, that well, folks. If we're going to go. Yeah, man. Uh, so me and Todd both were from Todd's from like truly middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. I'm from yeah, just yeah. outside Harrisburg. Um, Harrisburg. I don't know about any more, but had an awesome music scene. So name a couple uh, really bands. Really good Harrisburg. Uh, the absolute best band. Now there's big bands that have come out of Harrisburg. People might be surprised to know that Poison came out of Harrisburg. Fuel. Um, a, a lot of uh, rock bands come out of Harrisburg. Um, but my favorite bands come out of Harrisburg. Probably, unless they're really into like this this type of music. Running from Dharma, I think, is the best band to have ever come out of Harrisburg. Um, it's been a long time since I did all that. I'm, I'm going to go. I mean, dude, I'm, I'll just say this. If you do nothing else, get on Spotify and look up running from Dharma and just go listen to that. They are amazing. Uh, I think they were a bit before their time. Um, really, really, really good music. And what's especially cool, like another fun fact that you might not know is that I originally was going to go to school for sound production. So like you being in the, the tech side of things, I want to be a music producer. I've been playing guitar since I was six. Like you said, I, um, did a little bit of touring and stuff like that. And I thought, you know, I'm going to be a rock star. It wasn't like just some odd statement that I made. It's because I, that's truly what I wanted to do. And it's not even that, uh, I couldn't have done that. I truly believe that I could have done that. I made a choice at, at one point to be like, I kind of want a normal 
life. I'm not saying I like was always on the road cause I wasn't by any means, but, um, when, when you say touring at like the level that I played, it was going all around like, uh, Pennsylvania. I think we did a little bit in New York, like maybe New Jersey, like, like pretty close by stuff, but it was like fire halls and stuff. Right. Yeah. But still it's like every weekend loading up a van full of equipment going. Um, and so you don't have, uh, I wasn't like the typical jock. I played baseball and soccer, but I quit by like end of freshman year of high school and focused, uh, what I was already doing a lot of focus purely on music and skateboarding. Yeah. Because both, I, I, the skateboarding was, yeah. So the, the skateboarding was an individual sport. I liked that. I didn't, I always said I didn't like to march in a straight line and follow orders. So as much as I loved sports, there were a lot of things about the prospect, the practice aspects and everything that I didn't like. Um, and so what I loved about skateboarding was like freedom of expression and going out and doing these things and, and just had a blast doing that with my friends. And I had friends who were really, really good who went on to become solid professionals. And then the music, I just think went hand in hand with that. And I'd been, like I said, playing guitar six might not be the actual age. I always say that, but it actually might've been a little bit later. I might've been like eight, um, but still really young starting to play the guitar. And, uh, so, but I'd been, I'd been doing this guitar thing for so long. I actually had a guitar instructor, um, guitar institute of technology in los angeles i think i went through their curriculum not like actually went there my guitar instructor was a graduate there a graduate of there put me through their curriculum at by the time i think i was a sophomore in high school i'd like finished that oh wow. and i was saying i'm gonna go to i was saying i'm gonna go to school for uh music and he was like don't like what are you gonna why my buddy um, chris like, went, my buddy chris guitar. went there after after high school okay so yeah so it was like so he's like go to school for something else. And so I was like, all right, well, fine. I love music. All I want to do is music. So I'm going to go to school for sound production. So, uh, God bless my parents. They drove me all drove and flew me all over the country, visiting every school, um, Berkeley heart school of music, uh, a place in long Island, New York. Cause I think you're from long Island, right? It, uh, it, uh, Dix, Dix Hills. It's in Dix Hills. I'm spacing on the name of it, but I know of it. Yeah, Dix Hills is, is probably about like 15 minutes from where I grew up. Super ritzy area, right? Like, yeah, the my, my the, the girl I was I, I was going out with before I met my former wife was from Dix Hills. They were the rich ones, at least in yeah. comparison to my. I just, I, I just remember being there and being like, whoa. But uh, and then me being a dumb 17 year old, I had a high school girlfriend who was a little bit younger than me. I was like, you know what? I actually don't want to go away. And with that, I was playing with this band and I was like, man, I just don't want to go away. So I actually went to community college, um, for my first year. But the cool thing was that a guy by the name of Jay Kearson, who is actually a legit producer, but even beyond that, he like people pay him, fly him all over the country to design recording studios, like amazing work. So through that, there's a reason there's a point to the story through that. Um, I got to go shadow in a couple really, really good recording studios. Um, one of them being uh, a place in Hershey, which the name escapes me anymore. Um, but it was where Running From Dharma was recording their album. And I got to go hear stuff and um, see it before it came out. And just seeing that process and, and hanging out with those guys a little bit was absolutely awesome. But it made me realize that I absolutely am done with school for this because a couple <laughs> things. And, and, and I'll wrap it up here because I got to get my daughter. But um, Music to me, it, again, like skateboarding is, is an expression. It's an art form. And when all of a sudden you're being graded on even production, like, like the engineering of the audio, I used to get really, really combative. And I didn't take well to being told like, no, that's not how things should be done. And it's going like, how do you know? 
how do you know what people want to hear? So like, yeah. how do you know what's going to be the next popular thing in music? And I think the problem is that now, and, and I don't want to get in this whole, like, cause start to sound old of like all the music sounds the same, all everything's so produced. But, um, I do think that actual music and kids playing guitar and, and wanting to be rocks, it's like dead. It's truly dead. And actually one of my clients knowing that, uh, I've always been so into this stuff, sent me a thing about how, much the guitar industry is actually hurting like really bad like fender and gibson and all oh, these really? big uh, brands are like seriously hurting um and i just didn't like being told no you gotta do things this way you gotta do things that way and then to top it off sitting in a studio is such a practice of patience i loved music i loved to create it but then when it comes to like tweaking audio it's listening to the same song over and over, no exaggeration for four or five, six, yeah. seven, eight hours in a row to be like, nope, got to bring up this, this tone right here. Let's hit that one spot a little bit again. And if you think hearing a song get played out on the radio, like you have no idea what it's like to hear a song get played out. Uh, I found myself not with running from Dharma, but with some of the stuff that, that uh, groups that I got to overhear was just being like, I don't ever want to hear this song again. And I couldn't sit there and be able to do that all day. I was so bored. So between a mix of those two things, I was like, you know what, like we can get into this another time, but I, I had an awesome experience of personal transformation through strength training. And I was like, man, I want to have, I want to go away from this all my weekends being playing in fire halls and small clubs and all of my time being in the basement, practicing with a band or sitting in a studio bored out of my skull or sitting in a classroom being told this is how music should be done. And I was like, I kind of want to have the normal college experience. I love to lift weights and uh, my brother, my older brother was already going to Penn State. And so I applied to get into Penn State for kinesiology and not quite linear, but as they say, the rest is history. So nice. <laughs> music, uh, in a lot of ways, music is what led me to get into this industry. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it, it parlays a little bit like uh, doing like a commercial. So like a 60 second commercial, you know, and then the amount of time on editing. And I, I remember doing a, a, a Bud Light Super Bowl spot. Um, it was like a series of spots. I want us to think of these were with Cedric the Entertainer and a creative director arguing over legals and you legally can't change legals to a certain degree. Um, and that was kind of crazy. We are going to close this out. Chris, can you tell people where uh, they can learn more about strength faction and the upcoming round or about BSB Nova? Yeah. Um, Actually, I just did this today. So the easiest thing to do, it's kind of long, but is to go to beyondstrengthperformance.com. And that's going to be kind of like a, a landing page that will direct you to be able to access either BSP Nova or Strength Faction. You get both of them there. Otherwise, it's bspnova.com and strengthfaction.com. Um, uh, the early bird, if you're on the mailing list for Strength Faction, opens December 18th. And then, or no, I'm sorry, the, the, the like pre-early bird, uh, mailing list only. And then the early bird is December 19th to something. And then after that, there's, uh, the full price comes in, which is like right before we start. And the next round, like we'll officially start, uh, January 8th. I want to say Monday, January 8th. So yeah, the last day to be able to register technically is January, Friday, January 5th. So, so yep. get on it. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for, for coming on and hanging out, man. Uh, I'm glad we're buddies. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, Absolutely. Can, can you tell everybody to die mighty? Tell them to die mighty. Absolutely. Yeah, tell them to die mighty. <laughs> everybody, die mighty. 
Cool. Thanks, Matt. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Um, again, check out Chris's info. The website will be on the podcast page as well. Also, if you want to support this podcast, uh, visit patreon.com slash coach fury podcast patreon's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash coach fury podcast and you become a patron now what that means is somebody who's asking me in a session actually how do i what do i actually do with that is like you can literally donate like a buck or two an episode so every time an episode comes up if you want to support the podcast throw that on there and uh it helps out a lot every little bit goes a long way um, visit coachfury.com for any information about me, any upcoming courses or about training either online or in person. And as always, thank you to Glenn Urieta for the artwork, the FTW for the killer metal tracks at the beginning at the end and Ridge Carpenter for making the die mighty logo. And just for every, all of you guys listening, I kind of can't believe we're at the 14th episode. If you've hanging in to listen to this, I'm going to be in Japan next week. So I actually put episode 13 and 14 very close to each other because there is going to be a gap. I'm not going to have a new episode while on the normal Monday slot uh, because I am going to be teaching in Japan. So stay tuned for the next one, episode 15. Um, Peace out, everybody. Goodbye. The Coach Fury podcast is created, owned, and produced by yours truly, Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by the FTW. Visit the ftw.nyc.com for band, album, tour, and merchandise information. And the artwork is created by Glenn Urieta. Visit glennurieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or on Instagram, at Glenn Urieta. Thanks, everyone.